You're listening to the best of the Martha Zoller Show. You can hear the show live Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN and streaming at accesswdun.com. You can find all things Martha Zoller at marthazoller.com. A Fulton County grand jury returned a true bill of indictment, charging 19 individuals with violations of Georgia law arising from a criminal conspiracy to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election in this state. It is the Martha Zoller Show. That was Fonnie Willis, the district attorney. And here's several issues that I just want to throw out there. You can join us on the phones at 770-535-2911. Several issues. Uh, The indictment was leaked early. Does that sound familiar? Kind of like with the Roe v. Wade uh, discussion. The Roe v. Wade decision got leaked early, much earlier than this one. This was just a few hours, but they got leaked. Then Fonnie Willis delivered, announced that she had delivered the indictment. Uh, But they said, oh, no, this is fake. This isn't what it is. But when you get the indictment, you compare against the one that was leaked. It's just about exactly the same. Okay. And then when she was asked the question about it, there were about five hours between this leaked several hours. Might have been four. But there were a number of hours between this leaked document and the uh her having to appear in front of the press which i believe because they leaked the document if i mean 1 30 or whatever time in the morning it was i don't even remember because it was too late for me to be up meaning that i was just watching until i saw what i needed to see and then i went to sleep and then i was sleeping great until i got woken up this morning but i'm always happy to be here but here's the thing um she says oh i don't know anything about clerical work So I don't know what happened there. I think you would want the answer to that question when you're going out and facing the press, number one. Number two, uh, you've got a situation where, you know, it's Donald Trump and 18 allies that are in these indictments. And I said yesterday that my concern about this is going to be whether they're going to be co-conspirators named or not. This is looking like piling on. And what you're doing, justice system is making Donald Trump look more sympathetic, which is fine, you know, which is fine. But it's also going to be a calendar that I I really don't know how uh, President Trump continues to run for president and defend himself. It's going to be very difficult to do, and that's exactly what they wanted. Okay, so I'm going to, but here's just three names that I want to throw out there because they're talking about how awful these things were. Okay, and I'll just throw three things out there, three names out there. Nakima Williams, Hillary Clinton, Stacey Abrams. The mainstream media doesn't even pretend to have, um, you know, a perspective anymore. They don't even pretend to not have a bias anymore. You know, I'm, I'm an opinion show, and I will give you my opinion, and sometimes you like it and sometimes you don't, but that's okay. Because I try to give you all sides of things also so that you can make up your own mind. Because I have faith in you. I think you're a lot smarter than the average person thinks you are or the average media person thinks you are. You can make up your own mind. And you know what? 
we don't have to agree on everything. All I have to do is be entertaining in how I present this and be as accurate as I can be. Okay, I'm not right all the time, but the beauty of what I do is I can fix it later if I find out I'm wrong. And that is a beautiful thing. Okay, that's a beautiful thing. So, Nakima Williams was arrested in Fulton County in 2018 because she was trying to disrupt the certification of Brian Kemp as the governor of the United States. She was the, as the governor of Georgia. She was then the head of the Democratic Party of Georgia. She's now a congresswoman. Okay, charges were dropped. Nakima Williams. Stacey Abrams has never conceded the 2018 election. She said something like, well, I'm not living in the governor's mansion. That's as close as she got. But she has gone around the country, avoiding Georgia, by the way, but gone around the country talking about how the election was stolen and all kinds of people continue to say the election was stolen from her. How is that any different? Even though I don't agree with either one. I don't agree that the 2020 election was stolen from President Trump, and I don't agree that the election in 2018 was stolen from Stacey Abrams. But how is that any different than what Donald Trump did? And then finally, Hillary Clinton last night was on MSNBC talking about how horrible it was for democracy. When, first of all, she ought to be blankety-blanking Donald Trump because he did not pursue her legally. He saved her you-know-what because he did not pursue her legally when he could have and should have, just like he should have pursued Dr. Fauci, which he could have and should have. But those two people got off, and Hillary Clinton gets paid to go around the country and tell about how Donald Trump stole the election from her. My problem is, if it is illegal to have an opinion about how elections turn out, then why aren't these three people being charged or have been charged or at least tried or whatever? And in the case of Nakima Williams, she was arrested. But they didn't end up pursuing any charges. It is impossible to hide the two-faced nature of the justice system right now. This on top of the fact of yesterday, you know, there's no collusion. But yesterday we find out another source that says that Hunter Biden was going to be searched. He got a tip off and things were stopped by the federal government. You know, it's it's really I was talking to my daughter this morning, as I do most days when I walk in, uh, when I come in, and she is so disillusioned about things. I remember a time when politicians weren't all like this. You know, Ronald Reagan, while he had things you might have disagreed with about him, he took responsibility for his actions. John Kennedy, you might not have loved everything that he did in his personal life, but he took responsibility for his actions. George W. Bush took responsibility for his actions. You know, we are living in a world where no one will take responsibility. Fonnie Willis, for gosh sakes. She had this leak. Her office had to answer this leak. They lied about it because they said it was fake. But then she knows she's going to get a question about it. If she doesn't, she doesn't deserve this. And she, she says, well, I don't know anything about clerical work. 
And on the other side of you people saying that there's a law in place that that Brian Kemp can remove Fonnie Willis. That's not true. It's a committee that has to remove her. And Donald Trump can't get pardoned if he gets tried and convicted in Georgia. The governor cannot pardon him. Uh, There's a pardon and paroles board that does that. Okay, so, you know, don't believe everything you read on social media. If you read something that seems too good to be true for your side, check it out. Look it up. Do some of your own research. Because I'm mad this morning. I'm mad this morning because I don't believe that Joe Biden and Donald Trump are the best choices for this country. But I believe there are forces at play that are going to make sure that's what we have to choose from. And I don't agree with that. So you have the power for that not to happen. You have the power by turning out to vote. You have the power by not getting so mad that you disengage. I'm going to be mad for a while today, okay? But I'm going to get over it, and I care too much for this country to walk away. But it is it is clear, while I think that many of the things in this indictment are things that Donald Trump should not have done, I do not believe they rise to the level of a conspiracy. I believe that he was a disillusioned man that did not believe that he lost the election and that he was believing things that people told him that agreed with his worldview. And if that's a crime, most of us <laughs> are guilty of that crime, that we believe people that fit into our worldview. What takes real guts and gumption and ability is looking for opinions that don't agree with you and defending where you stand. That's what takes courage. It's local radio, and that's why you're listening. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Patricia Murphy is one of the political insiders. She does the jolt every day, and she's one of the few people that I can text at 4 o'clock in the morning because I know she's (laughs) up also. Patricia, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Good, good. So, look, first of all, leading up to this indictment last night, help me understand, because it felt a little bit like the, you know, the Alito opinion getting leaked from the Supreme Court last year ahead of time. Uh, Even though the timeline was different, there was this document that was leaked or showed up on the Fulton County website uh, that did it turn out to be the actual indictment? What what happened there? It turned out to be some of the similar um, uh, potential crimes listed. It was a different case number because by the time the indictments came out, um, it had been assigned a different case number and earlier cases that were processed earlier in the day got that earlier case number. Um, So it was obviously an early version um, of a document, um, and I don't know if there were any changes made to it other than the case number, but it wasn't the exact indictment. But it sure. wasn't that a wasn't false document. I mean, that's what they initially said. It was a wasn't the actual document. 
Yeah, we we're, we still need to find out more about okay, what exactly good. made it yes, fictitious. Absolutely. That's Willis's. Um, that was Willis's contention that it was fictitious, but yes. that happened around nine o'clock last night, and um, you know we've been just wading through all of the other right. Um, right. charges in the document since then. So we're, we are working to find out what exactly she meant by fictitious. Were you surprised that she wasn't prepared to answer that question when she came out for a press conference because? I mean, I thought her answer of, I don't know about the clerical or something like that was just ill-prepared. Now, maybe she was just tired. I don't know. Well, I think it's something that really took off on Twitter, to be honest with you. There um, sort of were immediately questions raised about it by um, allies of President Trump's to say, well, what is this? This is, And obviously, Donald Trump's lawyers put out a statement to say that this proved that Fonnie Willis was incompetent and not running right, um, right. a smooth process. Um, I think she was knee deep in pushing these things forward in having a lot of incoming information coming in. It clearly is something that happened at the um, in the clerk's office at the Fulton County Courthouse. Okay. Um, but again, that was 12 hours ago. Yes. Um, people have, <laughs> some people, some people have slept since then. So um, it was, it's not something that we've been heavily focused I on, know. but we'll, I, we'll I definitely s- continue to seek answers about it. I stayed up much later than I normally do. And then I slept, fell asleep hard right before I was supposed to get up. And so I was, I, it took me a minute for sure. Anyway. Okay. So what do we, uh, what do you think about this indictment? What do you see in it? So it's obviously massive, right? It's um, Donald Trump, um, 18 other individuals who are also charged um, with felonies, 30 unindicted co-conspirators. There are events described in here that are happening simultaneously as the events in Georgia. Um, And this document goes into Events in Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, other states where similar patterns were emerging in terms of having um, pushing lawmakers to have public hearings about the elections and charges of election fraud by the Trump campaign. Um, Other states that were putting together alternate lists of electors and having meetings about that, Um, alternate efforts to have those. Uh, ballots decertified. So it is painting Georgia as a part of a broader national conspiracy by the Trump campaign and uh, telling a story that says it wasn't just in Georgia. It wasn't just random acts that were popping up here and there. It was not a game of whack-a-mole. It was a deliberately coordinated effort to overturn the Georgia election and the national election which was, in fact, won by Joe Biden. You know, and and I, what bothers me is it does, and I try so hard not to say there's two standards of justice, but Nakima Williams was arrested trying to stop the certification of Brian Kemp as governor in 2018. They didn't actually end up convicting her of anything or any of that stuff, but she was trying to stop the certification. She tried to interfere with the certification. Um, Stacey Abrams still really hasn't said that she um, lost the election. She says, oh, I'm not living in the governor's mansion or whatever. Hillary Clinton was on MSNBC last night talking about how horrible this was. And she goes around the country getting paid big money making speeches where she still says that the election was stolen from her by Donald Trump. 
again, I'm not comparing the level, whatever, but as a person who's not as embedded in things, what I hear from my listeners, what I hear from people is there's a double standard and they, it's going to be hard for the, there is, it's going to be hard for the department of justice and justice in general to come back from this, I think with average people. Well, I think there is, um, first of all, we have to say that none of these allegations have been proven yet. Right. These He's, are, and your um, column not was proven to be a crime. Your column was beautifully written on, I think it was on Sunday, where you said you made that case very clearly, innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, and that goes for Donald Trump. It goes for um, Sean Still, who's a sitting state senator here in Georgia. It goes for David Schaefer. It goes for all of these other individuals, who some of whom are private individuals, and I'm sure their lives have been turned upside down by this entire process. So, um, But I, the distinction that this document makes, and I think why we didn't see, um, why we did not see uh, prosecutions of Stacey Abrams or Hillary Clinton, is that they said their election was stolen and in some cases, particularly Stacey Abrams' case, made legal challenges, um, made challenges in a court of law to show that they believed that there was um, activity that was nefarious or that wasn't on the up and up or that was potentially, I don't know that they said it was illegal, but they certainly said that the election had been um, uh, not fairly won. I think that's exactly what uh, Stacey Abrams said. Um, but they did that within the legal system. And the, the picture that this paints in this indictment are not statements that the election was stolen because it's not illegal to say an election was stolen and Donald Trump continues to say that, but it's the actions on top of the statements. It's um, calling uh, David Ralston and saying, yeah, interfering, calling David Ralston and saying, you need to hold a special session and um, make sure that these ballots are not certified. It's having those, um, Senate hearings and having Rudy Giuliani come in and say that Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, who were the Fulton County election workers, um, accused them of election fraud. They've been cleared of election fraud, but showing a video and narrating it and the narration did not match up with the facts, saying that they looked like they were passing vials of heroin to each other and they were passing candy to each other. So um, and then those two women were harassed. This document includes um, a, a charge against a gentleman who showed up on their doorstep, knocked on their door and said, I want to help you tell the truth. Um, it didn't, it just had this spiraling effect of events and actions. And it's the actions um, right. that really are at the heart of this indictment. Well, and it- again... Um, we'll see what it amounts to. Well, and to your point, and you wrote very eloquently on Sunday for the AJC about about innocent until proven guilty. And you can, I mean, we've heard it a million times, you can indict a ham sandwich. I mean, there are, you know, there have been lots of cases in the past where things haven't held up. And I, look, I didn't like what was going on. I didn't like, I would rather beat Donald Trump at the ballot box than this way i think it does i had a liberal lawyer in here on friday that said i wish donald trump gets elected because they're piling on they're piling on they've gone too far and it's really going to be interesting to see if there are independents and liberals that are starting to feel that way i don't know i don't know i think also um the challenge for republicans right now is that there are it seems like more than half of republicans 
standing with Donald Trump lockstep um, and do believe that this is not just too far, but it, that this is completely made up and an effort to steal the election from Donald Trump again. Well, um, but there are that, other Republicans who don't feel that way. Right. And the D.C. case to me is really interesting because basically D.C. is the, all the things that he was tried on in his in, his uh, impeachment where he was tried um, in the Senate and acquitted. I mean, they did not remove him from office. So it's almost like double jeopardy. And the example that this attorney used and is that, like, in the state of Georgia, for example, if a child does something wrong in a school, um, not a violent act, but does something wrong that goes against the law, there's a three-person tribunal within the school that meets, makes a decision. And if that student is acquitted, the state of Georgia cannot then come in and try that student because that's considered double jeopardy. And her question was, why isn't this the same thing in this case? She didn't know the answer to that. She just said from her legal training, it looked like double jeopardy. So I I think it's going to be really interesting to watch. If anybody says they know what's going to happen with the primaries, I do think it's a lot more likely that Donald Trump's going to turn up for that debate on the 23rd, though, because I think he wants to get out there and and make his message known. Um, yeah, I think he wants to mix it up. I think he uses um, uses his media exposure, and it's been incredible what he's done throughout this process, uses any media exposure, positive or negative, to his benefit. And if he showed up on that debate stage with Mike Pence and with all of the other um, all of the other uh, people running against him, uh, very few of them have really been speaking out against Donald Trump or any of these charges. They have been um, kind of helping him in a way by saying that the uh, Department of Justice has been weaponized. DeSantos says, says that the FBI um, director should be um, should be replaced and saying that uh, the federal government has been weaponized in this process. So they are giving him a lot of cover right now also. So to see them all on the debate stage and hash this out, you know, there are there's a legal question. Was this legal? And then there's just the moral question. Was this right or wrong? And yeah. that's what voters will need to decide. And sometimes things that are right are wrong are not illegal, you know. And so, that's right. you know, so there's a lot of things to find out here. Patricia Murphy, you can read her work. Um, I think you do a column twice a week, right? Column twice yeah, a week. We do it twice, and twice a week. And then the jolt every day. So um, every day. Get some sleep. And thank you for being with us today. <laughs> you too. Putting the talk in news talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. The one thing I couldn't stand about Mark Meadows, and I'm a mama bear about this, is that his daughter got married in 2020 like my daughter got married. And instead of his wedding getting canceled like hers did by the venue, he was able to get a downtown Marriott hotel to allow him to have a 200-person wedding uh, when everybody else was having to cancel theirs. So as a mama bear, that's what made me really mad about Mark Meadows. Anyway, Matt Brown is joining me right now. Don't cross a mother and her daughter. Let me tell you what, Matt, it's, it's out there. Look, I'm, I'm seeing it. No. <laughs> I'm telling you what, he could do anything else he wants, but no. I just thought that was the most tone deaf thing ever. But um, we finally have a Fulton County indictment. With the weirdest timeline ever. Okay, so it seems to me like a 
part of the documents, a fictitious document, whatever, was released earlier in the evening uh, on the website. Everybody went crazy over it. It was said to be fictitious. Then we next we heard is the actual document had been filed in the clerk's office. And then somewhere, you know, I don't even remember what time it was, uh, she came out, Fonnie Willis, and announced the indictment. I don't think that was the timeline she chose, or did she do that so there wouldn't be as many people around? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think that the entire country just got an introduction to uh, the Fulton County judicial system and the Fulton <laughs> County courthouse in terms of, um, you know, I mean, I mean, CNN International had like a, there was like a fight broke out in back of um, one of their, um, you know, um, reporters and people were like, oh, my God, is this, you know, Trump supporters and, and Democrats fighting in the street? And the answer is no, no, it's just downtown Atlanta around the courthouse. So, so I think that just some of this was um, the the, you know, peculiarities of downtown Atlanta and downtown and Fulton County legal system being facing basically, I mean, what we've said for a long time is one of the most, is one of the most important criminal cases in American history. And that this snafu basically was seemed to have been, you know, someone didn't, was not doing their job properly just on that particular point. But I don't think that that necessarily takes away from the magnitude of the day. No, but it does, Um, it is bad optics where several hours go by (laughs) and she had to have known she was going to be asked this question. And the answer is, I don't know about the clerical procedures or something to that effect. I mean, it just seemed like it kind of took the air out of the sails, if you want to know, because it seemed like I don't know. I just maybe I was just too tired when I was watching it. So that could have been it, too. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, well, my guess is that, you know, Willis's office had had they've been thinking about this, obviously, for you know years now and had had some things drafted that had probably been communicated with some low level people. But given that the jur- grand jury had not actually heard all of the witnesses testifying before them before those charges had actually been you know, officiated. It was definitely a bad look, and people were um, doing a lot of screaming last night that this was basically showing that, you know, this was somehow um, an illegitimate process. Well, I mean, it kind of reminded me, it kind of reminded me of the leak of the, um, uh, the um, Alito uh, opinion on Roe v. Wade, even though there was a bigger time gap. You know, Mm. it's like, you can't keep these things under wraps, you know what I mean? It's like, you can't do this. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Now, what we know is now and what I was my big question before this happened was is it going to be just Donald Trump? Is it going to be Donald Trump and other people? And I think as the days got closer to yesterday, it did look from the way they were calling witnesses that there might be other people. So it's 18 people and Donald Trump. So. It is, and Patricia Murphy at the AJC wrote a very eloquent column on Sunday about innocent until proven guilty. It really doesn't mean, it, it, it means a lot that you're indicted, but what's the old saying? You can indict a ham sandwich. So you've you've right. looked at the document, I'm sure. Is, is it what the critics are saying is that just people are being indicted for conversations they're having? Or does it look to you like there is an actual conspiracy? Well, I think that the thing that is going to be both crucial to understand, but also difficult to prove potentially, is just that all of these people were acting in coordination. Because the the situation, I think, is that when you Willis is Willis has taken the large, broad scale here. She has has implicated things that went on in Coffee County, two hundred miles south of Atlanta. She has. Um, you know, taken in the fake elector plot where, you know, now sitting state senators have been implicated, as well as people who um, brought 
death threats and harassment against Fulton County election officials and, and poll workers, including obviously Trump himself for, for doing things like calling Brad Raffensperger. So all of these things are, you know, potentially in their own way, things that could be solicitation to commit election fraud or solicitation to, you know, delay. I mean, all, everyone has been indicted in this charge on multiple different crimes here. The question is, is was this all coordinated and was RICO an, an appropriate way of doing this? I mean, Georgia's RICO law is one of the most expansive in the country, and Willis has hired some of the best experts that, um, in the in the state to, pros- to prosecute this and come up with these charges. To me, it looks like that there is a lot of smoke here potentially in terms of, you know, everyone being in. Um, you know, we got some new details just in terms of the, the level of communication and whatnot between not just here in Georgia, but across the country in terms of Willis basically saying that this was a nationwide effort. I'm just, but she's just bringing charges on the Georgia front. And I think that those are the types of things that she's going to use to really bolster her case here and try and make the pitch that maybe not, maybe there's not a text message for literally every single point of these people communicating with each other, but they were all basically under the same memo and all basically had the same goal. And yeah, I think that's going to be But I do think they were, I think they were sort of frantic just trying to do whatever they could do to try to further this message and whether that rises to the level of a conspiracy or a can't because I'm assuming that this is under the umbrella of the campaign more than not I don't know that and and again it was hard to tell from the document so it'll be interesting to watch I just you know Shondell Summer who's on with me on Fridays who you hear every now and then she thinks it's overkill, and she's a liberal Democrat lawyer, okay? She thinks that they have gone too far, and that especially with that D.C., I really think getting, backing up, Fonnie Wills should have done this three months ago. She probably was ready to do it three months mm. ago. Uh, I think she's missed the moment, and while this may be the most difficult case, and I really, in reading it, it looks like it is, and I've said this from the beginning, I think there was more smoke in Fulton County than anywhere else, uh, but... All these other things came a point and people are numb to it. I know that the judicial system and then you've got the situation where legitimately people are saying um, Nakima Williams was arrested for trying to keep Brian Kemp from being certified as governor. Nothing ever came from that. She is now a congresswoman. Stacey Abrams has never actually conceded the 2018 election she did the 2022 but not the 2018 and then hillary clinton is on msnbc last night who she should be dancing with donald trump because he chose not to go after her and kind of let it ride and and she never accepted the loss in 2016 so i understand why i don't necessarily buy into the fact that there's two standards of justice but i understand why people think that especially Especially in the Nakima Williams case, where there was clearly she was arrested for trying to keep Brian Kemp from being certified, and nothing happened. Yeah, and I, I just would also make the note that um, Nakima Williams is having a, um, you know, is having a roundtable today with with legal experts to discuss the Trump case and everything. So I'd be okay. curious um, right. what her thoughts would be. And on, I'm sure um, it will not come decision. up. I'm sure it will not come up that she was arrested for actually trying to keep an election from being certified. Yeah, I, I, I think that that is uh, definitely there's going to be the debate over, you know, what are the, the legal questions here? And then the debate over just what is the court of public opinion? And I do. And we're seeing this play out in the Republican primary right now. A lot of people are basically saying that, you know, this is a process that they feel alienated from, that they think that Trump is being you know wrongfully persecuted here and that that is no matter what happens so, in the courts here in Georgia or want- in D.C., 
you know. I, I want two things from you, and it could be in the future. I'm starting to hear even independents and liberals say to me, man, this just seems like too much. Let's just beat them at the ballot box. I'm sorry. I'm starting to hear mm. that. I'd love to know. You can tell me next week or the week after if that's the case. And the second thing is, you know, I've always said that I think Trump's going to end up showing up at this first debate. But I think now it's even more likely. What do you think? Well, given that the first debate is basically, I think, only a day or two, if not the same day as the um, as the day that he has to surrender the deadline to surrender in Fulton County. I mean, as we've seen in the rest of the Republican primary, Republican primary voters rally around him in situations like this. So, I mean, he would be coming very fresh off of, um, you know, a situation where he'd have to, you know, be under being videotaped in Fulton County where, you know, I mean, that's, it's, it's the place where, you know, rappers and celebrities get invited and stuff. So I, I can't imagine that, 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 it's, that he's not going to be um, good optics for him, even if he um, doesn't necessarily want to be doing it. So I think that this does raise the chance of him um, never turning down a good spectacle. I mean, he is um, first and foremost a, um, you know, very famous TV celebrity. So I think that, yeah, we're probably going to see him on that stage. You know, and I it's would, so funny. It's so funny because I'll, you're not old enough to remember the days when he saved the woman rink in New York City and was like a hero for that. He they bought the Plaza Hotel and redid it. I mean, there were a lot of really good things that that Donald Trump did over the years for you know charity and for people. And I mean, mm. his his secretary used to, and I don't know why he never talked about this more in his campaigns, but his secretary used to read the paper or he'd read the paper and circle somebody that needed help, give it to his secretary, and then the person's mortgage would be paid off. You know, I mean, he he is this interesting guy that he has this kind of softer side that he never wants to show. And uh, I think that if he focused less on 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 his base, which he doesn't need to focus on. They're with him no matter what. And focus more on people like me that he's lost, the exurban woman, the suburban woman. Um, I think that he'd do better. But anyway, I appreciate you, um, Matt Brown. we got a lot to talk about. And we'll have it even more next week after you've gotten some sleep. Absolutely. Take care. It's where North Georgia comes to talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Hannah Cox is joining me right now, and Hannah is someone I heard on a podcast. I'd read about her or read her work for years. Uh, I heard her on a podcast called She Thinks, and I thought I got to get her on the program. So here she is. Hannah Cox, I appreciate you being with us. Thanks for having me, Martha. Good to be with you. So just give, uh, give folks a little thumbnail of your background just before we get started. Sure. Well, I am now the co-founder and president of a newer nonprofit called Base Politics. My co-founder, Brad Palumbo, and I launched it a year ago, and we are focusing on new media. We really feel that the trends for where media is going, especially for younger generations, are away from cable news, away from newspapers. Instead, people are getting their information from platforms like TikTok, YouTube, Reddit, podcast, and we think it's really important that for people who believe strongly in free markets and limited government and individual liberty, like we do, that we take those ideas to those platforms so we can really meet where people are and engage with them. 
and try to further those principles and also help people understand what's going on on the ground, whether it be state or federally, so they know, you know, what good policies are, are out there that they can try to support, what bad ideas are floating around that they need to be active on. And so we're kind of activist media for a new generation. Um, before that, I was an activist myself, an organizer and a lobbyist. I've done a lot of work on criminal justice reform, um, but also just all kinds of free market work from occupational licensing and deregulation to tax reform to Second Amendment, um, school choice work. So I've, I've had a long history getting stuff across the finish line on the ground level, too. Yeah, I think you say that you are a rabid capitalist. I love that because <laughs> I don't think we look. I'm just in full disclosure. I'm on the State Board of Education for the state of Georgia, and we just uh, changed our economics uh, standards because we felt like uh, two things. We were too theoretical in what we were teaching kids in high school about economics and not enough real world personal, you know, how you manage your own money. So we're trying mm. to find that common um that that balance between how to go out and manage your own money but also understand what capitalism is because we didn't mm-hmm. want to get rid of that because so many people you talk to the average 20 something year old uh and they don't know what capitalism is they think it's a bad thing and really we're the only system in the world that allows people to go from worst to first if you will right well, I love to hear that you guys are focusing on that. That's, that's really important to have, you know, both sides of the coin when it comes to both the financial literacy and economic literacy. I think it's something many Americans don't get. Um, and I, I'm with you. I, I, I have this problem where I feel that the people who believe in capitalism are kind of cowered in the corner instead of being proud about it. This system has done more to alleviate poverty, to extend life expectancy, to cure diseases. It has done more to improve the human condition in its short, you know, 250 years of existence than any other system known to man. And it's not particularly close. And meanwhile, its opponents have led to mass destitution and devastation and death. And so I don't really understand why people are not more emboldened to defend this school of thought. Um, That's why I call myself a rabid capitalist. I think we should go on the offense. But you're 100% correct that when you speak to the average young person or if you just open TikTok and see what they're talking about, how they're thinking through things, they have a bad taste in their mouth for capitalism. But once you ask them to define it, they simply can't. And what they'll often point to when they uh, talk about the problems that they see within the system are 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 components of government, right? They're not actually components of the free market. They're usually examples of government impeding the free market. And so I think it's imperative that we help them to distinguish that and understand that, you know, there's a difference in these two things. And that usually when you see a problem, the government is at the root cause, which is why it needs to be very, very limited. And again, hence, you know, the reason for base politics, Brad and I really felt it was essential that we start fighting for that ground on platforms like TikTok because you log on to these places and and people especially young people, they're thinking through these things, but they're often getting a lot of really bad information. You see a lot of far left ideology being pushed. And so we've got to go and meet them where they're at, whether that be in the schools or online and try to ensure that they have a better working knowledge of the system at hand so that we can preserve it. And free markets mean sometimes you fail. Okay. And, and you learn from failing and then you move on and you do more from it. And I think that 
that's important. Now, I'm going to be 64 later this month, and um, but I'm pretty good with technology. I've, I've, I've always been in jobs where I've had to work with a lot younger people. I used to be the youngest person in the office, okay? But now that's not true anymore. Although, with the way our, our folks in our society are aging, I may still be the youngest. I don't know. But I used to be. I graduated <laughs> from school early, so I was always the younger person in the office until I wasn't. I wasn't doing TikTok uh, because, but after listening to you on She Thinks, I actually started a TikTok uh, channel. Oh, great. And I put my first video out there this weekend. It wasn't much. It was just basically saying, you know, this is the first time for me. I don't know if it's going to be another one, but, you know, whatever. I've gotten some good response. It's been a pretty immediate response to it. But you've mentioned TikTok a couple of times, and, you know, a lot of people are wary about it. Why do you Mm -hmm. use TikTok for news? Yeah, well, I think it's important, one, that people understand TikTok is so much more than a dance app these days. It actually is the top search engine for younger people in America. So they aren't going to Google. They are going to TikTok where they are searching for information. And so I do understand some of the concerns that people have with TikTok. Personally, once looking into it, I find that they're a bit overblown. Yes, they are looking at your information. So is every other social media platform that you use, and they are mostly using it to show you more content that you like so that you were trapped on that app for hours hours and hours and hours. And when it comes to TikTok, their algorithm is particularly good. I've not seen anything else like it. It really does uh, learn the person quite quickly and continues to feed more and more information along the sides of things that you're liking or watching or consuming. And so it becomes very tailored to the individual. Uh, It's a massive uh, platform. You know, the number of people who are using it right now, it's dwarfing its competitors. It's simply, there is no other place to be right now. So I think that there is often a wariness because of its attachment to China. There's been a lot of work behind the scenes to really hold them accountable and put their feet to the fire. And they've honestly played ball very well behind the scenes. So I don't have a lot of concerns with that. I'm personally much more concerned with my own government spying on me than I am the Chinese government. So I I think that that has gotten a little bit overblown, and particularly the TikTok ban bill is a Trojan horse. It is essentially the Patriot Act 2.0. It is just a way for the government to spy on you more here. People need to be very, very wary of that bill. It's it's utter garbage. Um, But when it comes to, you know, when you really want to win politically, like I said, my background is in activism and lobbying and actually passing bills. And I can tell you firsthand that when you are coming at it from our point of view, right, we're not big corporate lobbyists. We can't even donate to politicians. You can't buy them meals. We have we have no other carrot or stick other than the appeal of good ideas, building coalitions and showing them this is what their voters want and the media. And the media is a very, very powerful tool in getting things done and getting billed across the finish line or killing bad legislation. And the problem that we have coming from our camp is that we often don't have that mouthpiece, that mechanism to effectively move the media. I think that uh, content, it moves the culture. You know, we often say that politics flows downstream from culture. I think that's right. If you aren't working within the media and entertainment apparatus to move the culture, to sway them to your way of thinking, to get them active on the things that you're passionate about, you can go ahead and write off getting the kinds of wins that you want. You've got to be working at that point. So we've got to go where the culture is at. And again, that simply just isn't in traditional media anymore. You know, I'm often on platforms like Fox News and I love doing that. But, you you know, you go on Fox Business Primetime, let's say, and at best you're getting 180,000, 200,000 views. You go on TikTok, you put up a video, you can quickly get a million views. It's the scalability of it. There's nothing like it. And the cost 
to go on platforms like TikTok or YouTube or to make a podcast is significantly lower than trying to compete in the old school ways of doing things. And I think one thing you'll come to like about TikTok, and, and especially when you're working with Gen Z, is they don't like production quality. The more stripped down, the more authentic, the better. It is a, a great place to really just go on and build an audience that feels like they know the person they're watching, they can connect with them, and you don't have to have you know a full studio to make TikTok videos. So it, it really is an incredible opportunity, I think, to reach the masses, and I, I think it's important that we seize that opportunity. So we're coming up on an election in 2024, and um, obviously the first vote hasn't been cast yet in a primary, and I'm a firm believer that... We don't know who the ultimate people are going to be. But uh, many conventional wisdom people think it's going to be a Trump-Biden rematch, and maybe there'll be a a third-party candidate in there. Of course, Georgia has a pretty good history with libertarian candidates, meaning that we can get them on the ballot. It's a little easier. You know, the one thing that Democrats and Republicans agree on is they don't want anybody else on the ballot but them. Mm -hmm. And so they've made it difficult for for the natural bubbling up of a third party that's happened throughout our history up until about 70 years ago to happen. It's, it's been more difficult. So you've got Trump and Biden who are old. You've got Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell, um, Charles Grassley. I mean, the list goes on. We've got a whole bunch of people in government that are 80 years old or older are approaching that. Um, what, are, what are you looking at for the presidential election? Yeah, I love that you bring up the issues of the real, you know, ballot issues that I see, which is that it is so hard for third parties and independent candidates to break through. Um, You know, I'm somebody who came up more on the right and really sort of put myself solidly in that camp until 2016. And I've been a bit disenfranchised ever since then. I think like many Americans, I consider myself politically homeless. Um, It's important that people remember, you know, in the last couple of elections, none of the above actually won the popular vote. More and more people are staying home because the jig is up. They're realizing that Republicans and Democrats might talk a very different game, but what they're actually doing behind the scenes, how they're really governing once they're in power is very much the same, especially on core issues like the economy, like money printing, like war. And so it's a it's a difficult place to be. And for that reason, I tend to focus most of my efforts on public policy, on individual issues, issue advocacy, and trying to work to affect change either at the state or federal level in that capacity. I don't have a lot of faith in the ability for somebody to come into power and really shake things up. Um, so I I don't know that I really have a dog in the fight when it comes to 2024. I do like that uh, there's a guy named Chase Oliver here in Georgia who is running as a libertarian candidate. So hopefully he will be on the ballot. I would like to see more independence. And I'd love to see more things like ranked choice voting um, be implemented so that people truly do have a voice and really can participate in their system in a more meaningful way. Because I think right now the, the two-party system is not working for anybody. You've really only got you know less than 25% of the country is solid Democrat, less than 25% of the country is solid Republican. You've got a lot of loud voices in both camps, but the vast majority of Americans are very fed up with both of these parties and with their actions. And I think if you look at the trajectory over the past couple of decades, it just keeps going downhill. It doesn't really ever turn around no matter who's yeah, I tell you, in office. Yeah, <laughs> we could talk for a long time about this. If people want to know more about what you are and what you're doing, how can they do that? Sure. Well, they can go to our website, which is base-politics.com. We'd love for them to check us out, support us if they're interested in the work that we're doing. We are a nonprofit. And if they want to connect with me, they can find me across pretty much any social media platform that there is under Hannah D. Cox or Hannah Cox. And so I'd love to connect people there. 
thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Martha. Enjoyed it. To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com and you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller.